Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and this week I'm chatting to Tiffany Philippou. She's a writer and a podcaster. We're going to be chatting about her podcast, Is This Working?, and also her memoir, Totally Fine and Other Lies I've Told Myself. Trigger warning, we will be talking about suicide in this episode. Yeah, so Is This Working? is a podcast I co-host with my best friend, Anna Coggiorado. And the podcast was essentially born because when I went freelance, Anna was sort of like my freelance guru or guide and we were back and forth on voice notes talking about our experience of almost recalibrating how we work and what we've been taught about how to work and beginning to redesign new ways of working for ourselves um, as well as dealing with lots of issues related to work. So, you know, we've covered burnout quite a lot on the podcast um, and we talk a lot about the work and the self. Um, Some other topics we've talked about around money and time management. And as we were going back and forth and designing this all for ourselves and having these conversations, it became clear to us that we thought that people would benefit from, from overhearing these conversations. So that's essentially why we started the podcast. Um, we thought that other people would be in similar situations and similar boats to us and might benefit from hearing about our own experiences. Mm. I'm sure lots of listeners can relate um, to, to many of the issues that you discuss. What are some of the key lessons that you've taken um, since starting the podcast? 
the you know it's uh, people often ask me for my best productivity tips and things like that and um i think that what i have learned is how intertwined the work and the self is um i believe that if you don't have good work or good relationship with your work then that can infiltrate um your life and then similarly that can go the other way around so if you're if you've got issues going on in your life you can that can show up in your work as well and how you work um so I guess one of the biggest lessons is to think about yourself as a whole and one person who moves between both work and life um you know doing both both as one um and I guess also just to let go a little bit um I think Anna and I both confess to be productivity addicts and throughout the pandemic um you know a lot of that got disrupted because we were dealing with our own anxieties the changing of our work and living situations um so we both had to learn to let go a little bit and let go of control and I think you can become very obsessed with being as productive as possible and maximizing your time and um one of the one of the podcast uh, episodes I learned the most from is most recent one with Oliver Berkman, um, where he talked about almost accepting that you have limited amount of time rather than trying to optimize your time and make yourself as efficient as possible leads to a much more enjoyable and realistic day to day. And so I've definitely gone on that journey where I've learned to let go and be a bit more calm and less obsessed with efficiency with my working day. And it's great that you've tackled issues like burnout, which I'm sure many people have faced. And I think a lot of people have dealt with that again during the pandemic because there's for some people there's been the thing of working from home but then maybe not switching off when they normally would do were there any sort of tips that you took from the conversations you've had around that I think a lot of the burnout conversation is I think it's easier for people I said this in one of our episodes I think it's more comfortable to talk about burnout versus depression or other mental health issues and I think that um I think that one has to think carefully or critically about what is actually causing, you know, it's kind of what's actually going on um, because sometimes it's not necessarily as simple as burnout. It's not necessarily simple as changing your work or work situation. Um, But the reality is, and we had Katie Morton, who's therapist on the podcast, if your work situation, if you work in a toxic workplace, you probably have to leave. Um, And that's another thing, um, that again it's kind of an unfortunate truth like burnout is very rarely caused by uh, cured even by you know taking more time off uh and stepping away um I think it's more looking at again yourself in a whole view and why are you not switching off like what are you avoiding why are you working a lot um why do you have what's created such a tangled relationship with your work and also as I said at the beginning is is it actually about your work or is there something else going on really love that idea of sort of seeing yourself as a you know the whole person not thinking you can put everything into little boxes you know this is work me or this is my work life this is my home life this is my friendship life um thank you for for discussing that the podcast because it's um you know it's done so well and has been so helpful to so many people um could we move on now to talk about um your book which is a bit of a sort of change of pace it feels like. So you have a memoir um, that's out and it's called Totally Fine. Um, Why did you want um, to write this book? It it more was a hunger or an urge within me. um, And it all 
came out, I kind of talk about this story in the introduction where I went to a memoir writing class almost on a whim and I didn't expect, I, I expected as I'm sure many people would expect, you know, as we've just discussed, I had a podcast that essentially talked about work and careers. I expected something like that to come out. Um, but actually what came out was a much more personal story. And then once that desire or urge had been unlocked, it became a very visceral <laughs> feeling that I just had to do this. And um, the why kind of came, the, the rational answer, which I'll give you now came after that, but it really was, um, I cannot explain how strong the feeling was that I needed to do this and the why I needed to do this came later. Um, but the answer to that question is around, um, I didn't, you know, I, I wanted others who to feel less alone. Like I was isolated in my grief. So the book is a story of when my boyfriend Richard killed himself when we were both 20 year old students. And my book tracks a whole decade of what impact that grief had on me. And I certainly wasn't aware of any stories or I'm sure they, I'm sure they exist. And, and, but for me, I didn't really, I, I was very isolated in my grief. Like I didn't really hear, or I wasn't aware of stories of those left behind by suicide. And there's so much shame and so much stigma. And I essentially wrote the book that I wish that I'd had at the time and it would have made me feel less alone. And, and writing it made me feel less alone. It opened up conversations with people in my life and even of course, now I have conversations with new people um, because people say, what's your book about? And so it's just, it's it's already creating a lot more space for connection and helping me feel less alone. And it also just became a really important message that I wanted to communicate because the book talks about what really matters in life, like what's gone wrong in our society. Um, you know, what what are these societal expectations we live under? because it's also a story about growing up. Um, it tracks my twenties. It tracks all sorts of experiences that many people would have had in their twenties. Um, you know, friendship kind of work and all these issues that we have as we're trying to navigate the world, we kind of leave school or university without any sort of guidebook. So it was also important to me to just tell a really honest story about what that was like. And again, try and help people maybe to think a bit differently about the choices they make or how they live um, and almost sort of break free or be set free slightly from the expectations we put on ourselves and young people. Cause I think that is causing a lot of suffering. I mean, it's, it must've been a, a terrible shock initially. Um, but when that happened, how did you deal with it initially? I'm sorry if that's an insensitive question, but I, I suppose I'm just trying to imagine um, how you dealt with it. Or did you just feel like you had to kind of carry on and almost deny your feelings around it? So, yeah, I think, you know, in the initial aftermath, it was, um, yes, a huge amount of shock. Um, it's 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 very much a bit of a blur, the aftermath. I remember certain scenes um, and those scenes and moments are in the book. Um, but it was very much a um, shock. Uh, and And, you know, the summer that he died... I was surrounded by friends from home. Um, I, I, I and, and very much this book is also a celebration of friendship and how important that that is. Um, but when I went back to university and we were at university together, so when I had to go back 
that was when I would say what I almost call like the societally acceptable numbing techniques kicked in. And I really did. And, you know, that's why the book is called Totally Fine. It's about pretending to be fine. And I really did shut myself off from feelings. And it made me not fully live, I guess, if you're, you know, if you're pushing down uh, anything bad and you're living with a lot of shame and guilt. Um, yeah, it's 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 a form of numbing. And, and then that that that's that, that I find very sad reading back on the book. Um, so, yeah, so. And, and I didn't really want to talk to anyone about it. And I almost edited my stories in my life. Like I would never mention his name. Uh, it's almost like I wouldn't talk about anything that had happened before. And it took me almost 10 years to be able to talk about it. And in terms of um, receiving support for what happened, um, did you, was that something that you, you tried to receive or that you feel you were given or, um, I mean, it sounds like more you sort of, as, as, the, as you said, with the book title, you could kind of act like everything was fine. Or would it have been helpful, I suppose, do you think? Um, or did, yeah, did you actually get any support at the time? So it's just, I think it's just really um, important to put ourselves back in 2007, 2008, where we just didn't have the language or conversation around mental health that we have now. I had, you know, now I just wasn't aware of, really things like depression, anxiety, these things that I feel like burnout, you know, we're talking about all these things a lot more now. I, I appreciate we still have a long way to go. Um, so there was no part of me that kind of thought I have a problem. I need to um, look into solving it. I mean, I was offered counseling um, via the GP shortly after he died, um, but I just wasn't interested in it. I mean, I didn't care. Like I'd lost the love of my life. Like I just wanted him back. Like what was there to talk about? That was my attitude. I mean, the other thing to remember is I was 20 years old. So you've got a combination of things. So, you know, yeah, support may have been there. It may have been offered to me. I had a very supportive family and friendship network, but we just didn't live in the culture that we live in now. Um, and so I didn't actively seek out support and I don't think you can force it on anyone. I certainly don't feel any blame anyone whether it's like you know the university or anyone around me about not being given professional support at the time I mean I did literally reject it so yeah I think it's more about it talks more about the time and the culture and the shame and possibly the lack of language around mental health than anything else the, the lack of support that I had I think there's still um people have a lot of kind of fear in terms of talking about suicide friends don't know what to say family don't know what to say um, do you have any thoughts on, for example, if somebody was going through what you were going through, um, what would be helpful for friends or family to say or do? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's, yeah, it's not just suicide, it's grief in general. People are very uncomfortable around. The reality is people are awkward around grief. And then you add a layer on top of that of suicide, which people find, and I, the word awkward feels so shallow, but it really is as simple as that. It's people feeling a bit awkward. Um, and you can see it in people's body language and in their brains. And again, there's plenty of scenes like this in the book where people are so worried about what they say that it makes them act towards you in a way that makes you feel like you've got some sort of disease or you know they're trying to avoid you. And so the best advice is to accept that there is, it's not about you. First of all, it's not about what you say. I don't really care what you say. You're, you're, in fact, just accept you're going to say the wrong thing um, and kind of remove yourself from it. And the best thing you can do is to acknowledge that this has happened and 
to allow space for the person to demonstrate their grief or to talk about it and to not try and sugarcoat the reality of suicide and not try and again there's a lot in my book which is about you have to accept that rightly or wrongly people like me those bereaved by suicide part of the pain is we to a certain extent see it as a choice so to to deny my experience and quieten it or you know whatever people might say in an attempt to reassure people is just a way of making us feel silenced and unheard and we already are suffering with enough of enough of shame so yeah the best advice is to um that I can think of is really just to acknowledge and 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 just accept that you'll probably get it wrong but just do your best to just make the person not feel like isolated or lonely and, and and just and just show up as well like there's a lot of um again in my book there's I had friends who just kept showing up um, because the other thing I know people struggle with in grief is after some time, people just presume you're over it by now. Um, and, and in grief in general, I know that people feel a lot of, myself included, I mean, this is a 10-year story. Um, they feel a lot of shame for still having feelings so strongly in a state of grief so long after the time. Um, and, and that's also why I wanted to write a book that tracked a decade. I, I personally had read or came across a lot of books in the immediate aftermath um, but again, it's like 10 years on, this still hits me. Um, so that's also something that was important for me to share. Mm. I mean, I'm sorry if this is a stupid question, but um, was it difficult going back over these events? Because it seems like it must have been a really difficult book to write. Um, how did you find it? It was easy to write in the sense it just like flew out of me. Um, and I think that there was something very helpful to me personally from having been so silent for so long to uh just tell the story and to give myself forgiveness and peace in accepting things like I will never know why he did it um and also to just be forgiving to the person who was 20 years old and so maybe didn't respond in the best way or do the right thing um so I did find it helpful to you know I mean stories is how we make sense of the world uh, of the world and ourselves and essentially I narrativized um this experience and yeah I mean it was it was obviously emotionally very draining um and intense but at the same time it just it really flew out of me it was it was something that obviously been waiting to come out for so long um and in many ways it was a very precious and beautiful experience like to have ignored or numbed something for so long and then to give it so much attention was was really precious um so in many ways, I also enjoyed the process and, and, and I loved it as well as it being hard. Mm. And it is about life as well as, as about grief, um, as you said earlier. Um, and the full title is totally fine. What my decades in grief taught me about life. Um, so what are some of the key things in there that it that has taught you about living in life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so the, in, in a way, one of the questions the book asks is, what can we learn from the, the experience of grief of someone not wanting to live um, about what makes life worth living? And essentially the overarching message of the book is I go on a, on a real journey, essentially. I don't know what other word to use, but, um, and I c- conclude essentially that, you know, it's the people in our lives that matter and make life worth living. And I think that having, 
I mean, it seems simple and it seems obvious, but you know, I don't think the average, you know, me and my experience as a 25 year old necessarily knew that. And I don't think that's a message that's communicated that much to us. We're put under so much pressure, um, whether it's academics, work, how we look, um, whatever it might be. And the reality is, and you know, what are you going to be thinking about on your deathbed? And I guess having experienced grief, because we also had someone else, uh, die the following year in our friendship group so having seen young death um in that way I was very aware of death and was aware of the fact that you know I think you can only really enjoy or live your life if you have an awareness of its finite time or have an awareness of death um and if you do think in that lens then everything becomes quite obvious about what's important how you should be living your life what matters but unfortunately um as just discussed, this is all tied in together. Like the reason people are awkward around grieving people is we fear death so much. And similarly, part of that fear and avoidance around the reality of it means that um, we focus on things that don't matter as much. And we make little decisions day to day that slowly erode um, at us. Um, So I really wanted people to shift their perspective a bit about the choices they make and how they live their lives, not necessarily based on what my value system or anything like that, just to kind of challenge and think about it. Um, because, you know, to live a life aware um, can really change your experience of it. And finally, it's a huge question to finish on, but I um, have to ask it. Um, is there anything that you'd say to anybody who's been um, bereaved by suicide as, as you have that you'd want to say to them if they're struggling in particular at the moment? There's so many of us. Um, the statistics... Um, mean that there are so many of us who've been bereaved by suicide. Um, It's very natural uh, to hold a lot of blame and responsibility. And it's, it's a really horrific, horrific feeling. Um, And all I have to say is, you know, we are not alone. There's plenty of us and certainly talking about it and and sharing stories and finding like-minded or people in a community is an extremely helpful thing to do. Um, you know, the, one feels a lot of shame. Um, and this book talks a lot about shame as well. Um, when you're bereaved by suicide and shame holds power. I mean, what gets left unsaid builds in power. Um, so the, the best way to confront our shame is to, speak it out loud and to be and to say these things and be honest about the what ifs that we're living through or the regrets we might have and and then I think once you're able to acknowledge those thoughts and feelings you can begin to forgive yourselves um but yeah it's it's for anyone who's literally going through it right now all I have to say is you are not alone and it is it is a very very challenging and isolating experience um, and I and I do hope that my work goes plays a small part in hopefully helping anyone who is experiencing that. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours, mentally yours, mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter 
We're at Mentally YRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. Uh, helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.